All right, so we're going to unpack tonight a little bit about marriage and family, but I want to start uh, with the story here. I'm going to throw a picture up on the screen for you. So uh, here's a lovely couple, aren't they, right? Okay, lovely looking couple here. A man and his ever-nagging wife went on a vacation to Jerusalem. Now, this could easily be switched, so I'm not just saying that the wives are always the nagging ones here, okay? But this is how the story is going as we're going to unpack it. A man and his ever-nagging wife went on a vacation to Jerusalem. While they were there, the wife passed away. Nobody's sighing or, or, or saying that's sad. That's concerning to me, okay? That's, that's a sad reality when your wife passes away, okay? So I'm going to read it again. While they were there, the wife passed away. Thank you. That's much better, all right? The funeral director told the husband, you can have her shipped home for $5,000, or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. Now, I'm an accountant. I told you that last night. I'm starting to crunch those numbers here uh, pretty quickly. The man thought about it and told him he would just have her shipped home. The funeral director asked, why would you spend $5,000 to ship your wife home when it would be wonderful to be buried here, to have her buried here, and you'd only spend $150? The man replied, long ago a man died here, was buried here, and, <laughs> and three days later rose from the grave. I just can't take that chance, okay? <laughs> so again, this is not the picture of what we want our relationships to look like, right? We don't want to get the end of our married lives, of any of our relationships together, and have that kind of process enter our mind in our decision making. The reality, though, is that we know people that have, have been in that place. That after years of life and marriage and family time, they start to drift further and further apart. We're going to unpack tonight some things that will help us think about how to have a marriage that lasts a family that lasts. I'm calling uh, this message tonight, Love Being More Than a Feeling. Okay, we're going to kind of unpack this idea that love is not just something that we feel, some emotion or some state of mind, but it's actually something that we unpack and do um, in our actions. We'll talk about that here throughout this evening. We're going to be in Philippians 2 here in a minute, so you can turn your Bibles there. Now, I know about this feeling, this idea of falling in love. I've fallen in love, had those great feelings towards a few things in my life. Here's the first one, okay? My beautiful wife, Maggie, so uh, I've fallen in love with her. I've had great feelings and emotions towards, loving feelings towards her. Uh, these four amazing kids that God has blessed me with, so I've had uh, those feelings towards them over the years. Um, and even this rascally mutt, uh, Thistle. Yes, my dog's name is Thistle, okay? So, like the thorn in my side, all right? So, prophetic in the name of that dog is how it's worked out. But even there's times and feelings where I've, I've learned to love these things. We all have these things in our lives that we've come to have strong emotions for this feeling towards love, but we know that the feelings don't always last. This topic was addressed in Jesus's life more than 2,000 years ago. One of the last things in his kind of his final messages that Jesus taught his disciples was this from John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Interesting thing that Jesus is doing here, he's taking this word, love, that culturally, even at that time and sometimes in our lives today, we think of as just something that we feel, and he's saying it's not something that you feel, it's something that you do. As I have loved you, as I've walked with you these last several years, as you have been my disciples and following me, I've demonstrated real love towards you, and as I have done that, my calling to you is to love one another the same ways. Again, these truths we're going to unpack in some ways that apply to our marriage and family season, but I think this is a challenge to all of us as followers of Jesus in our relationships. How do we put on God's love? How do we put on Jesus' love into action the way that he modeled for us first? And I think the best way to look at that is what, uh, James, or, uh, what Paul has to say about this in Philippians 2. So if you've got your Bibles there, Philippians 2 is where we're going to be tonight. 
Again, Jesus has taken this thing that we think of as a feeling and he's made it an action. He's put a verb. He's put some real teeth in it. This is how we demonstrate the love for one another. This is not an example of, of what I'm learning. I'm looking at Jesus and his example to me. And I'm going to point us to Jesus tonight to how to model this in even greater ways in our marriage relationships and our families. So read with me here, uh, Philippians 2. We're going to start in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any infection and sympathy, complete by my joy by being one of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count each other's more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. For though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we're going to walk through this kind of verse by verse tonight, look at each part, kind of give you some questions to think about in relation to how these verses unpack what it looks like to put Jesus' love on display, to put it into action as he modeled for us here and as, as Paul is going to unpack for us here in Philippians. So verse 2, uh, Philippians 2, verse 3 says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Again, depending on your translation, it's got different wordings for that. Um, we know what a selfish person looks like, right? We know what a conceited person can look like. We know that it's really tempting and easy thing to fall into, this idea of being selfish and being conceited. Selfishness basically says, I'm going to do what's best for me. A conceited mindset says, I'm better than you. Both of these things are elevating yourself above the other person. We know from Jesus' life and ministry that he was always the one to take on the humble path of a servant. So this passage is really interesting because it's not just saying to do that occasionally. It's not saying sometimes uh, avoid being selfish or conceit. It's not saying not hardly any times. It's saying do nothing. In our marriage relationships, in our family relationships, in the relationships that God has entrusted to us, we got to put on this thing. we got to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. How do we do this? Well, again, this is not complicated. I think the first part here is to just get rid of selfishness. Okay, the parts of your life, the parts of your attitudes, the part of your actions that are only for your well-being, uh, guided and, and shaped around doing what's in your best interest and not the interest of somebody else, that's the mindset of selfishness. The cynical side of you, that thinks that other people are less significant than you, this idea of being conceited, of putting others lower than you, you questioning the motives of others, being pessimistic, that's the idea of being conceited. So I think the other part of this that we gotta look at is this, you don't compete with each other. Okay, I'm a pretty competitive guy, okay? I was born that way, my dad, I told you he's a dairy farmer, but my dad went to school for um, uh, political science, okay? So I grew up in a pretty debate-oriented household. I'm also the middle of two siblings, okay? They both happen to be brothers as well, two, two brothers. So I'm the middle of three boys, okay? So I knew pretty well how to compete up the food chain and down the food chain, all right? So I've learned, I kind of grew up learning this idea that competition was healthy and good, and I think there's good things that can come of it. But that mindset, that mentality, when it came to my marriage relationship, when it came to my kids, pretty dangerous things happened because of that, Right? Pretty big problems began to arise. I brought in a competitive mindset at times into my marriage relationship, and I'm still unpacking that and learning how to grow through that in those ways. So in our relationships, we've got to not compete with each other. You've got to remember, your spouse is not your competitor, is not your enemy. They're your teammate. Your kids are not on the opposite side of you. You're working together. You're going to God together to be on mission together. Don't compete 
with each other. Thankfully, this passage doesn't just leave us with a bunch of things not to do. It helps us here later in verse 3 to know what it looks like instead. So instead of doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Greg's message later tonight is going to be all about this idea of pride and humility, how to take pride out of your life, how to replace it with humility. We're going to give you some great exercises on that. But I think the best step of doing that is to actually begin by valuing others above yourself. To replace the self-centered mindset with an idea of putting others in humility, thinking of others better than yourselves. This is really challenging, but we actually know all how, know how to do this, right? We've all been in this situation where we know that we're not the most important person in the room. Okay? Here's an example. If you're at a wedding, and it's not your wedding day, and you're not the bride or the mother of the bride, okay? It's not your, not your day, right? You're not the most important person in the room on that day. We've all been in those situations, okay? If you're in a meeting and your boss walks in, doesn't matter where you feel like your importance was, suddenly he becomes the most important person in the room. We've all been in these situations where we know that this is not about us. This moment, this time, this place is not about us, so we know how to do that. The challenge is putting that into action and considering, continuing to put on this idea of valoring others above ourselves, and we do that be, by not only that, but treating others as more important than yourself. Looking at our lives and saying, is this person more important in this situation, what they need than what I, than I want? What they need out of the situation, am I willing to take the steps of action and obedience to value them, to treat them as more important than me in these interactions and in these, in these moments? So here's the question versus, uh, based on uh, verse three here. Will I treat others as more important? In my life, as I want to put on this ways of acting the way that Jesus did, putting love into action, will I begin to treat others as more important than myself? It's what Jesus did and modeled for us. So with his help and with his guidance, with his spirit, I believe that we can do this. We know how to, but are we willing to take those steps in obedience? Okay? Let's look at verse 4 here, Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why is this so challenging for us, Right? Because I'm not interested in the things that interest other people. I'm interested in the things that interest me, right? But we've got to begin to express interest in the things that interest others. Now, Maggie and I are very different people. We're going to unpack that for you in a little bit. You'll get to see this picture of how different Maggie and I are. But now I've got these four kids, nine and under, that travel around with me that i got to do life with. I'm realizing that they're very different than me, too. Very different interests than I have, okay? Part of that's because I'm 30-plus years old, and they're 10 and under, okay? I have very different interests than that. Maggie's a, a, a woman, I'm a man. We have very different interests because of that. We were raised differently. We were uh, brought into different parts of the country, different family dynamics. We have different interests than each other. So here's how I'm trying to put this into action. Here's a few pictures here of things I'm working on being more interested in, okay? So, yeah, that's great, right? Um, top picture there, uh, great view of the mountains and the outdoors. Maggie loves being outdoors, okay? I like city life. I like being inside buildings in city life with air conditioning mostly, okay? So that's kind of my, uh, my bent when I get to do things my own way. But I'm learning to get out and enjoy the outdoors with Maggie. Crazy thing is, the longer that we've been married, the more I'm discovering that I actually like the outdoors as well. Especially when I get to see how much she's enjoying being out there. Other pictures is Legos, okay? I've got a trailer full of Legos, okay? I don't know where they all came from or where they all go, but I'm stepping on them frequently in my trailer, all right? I'm learning that with my boys especially, they love in Legos. So as I can be interested, as I can engage and play with them with Legos, I'm expressing interest in things that interest them, even though I'm a little bit old probably to play with Legos. 
what I'm discovering is I'm actually loving playing Legos. You guys are agreeing with me. I see you nodding in the middle there. Yeah. I'm learning to enjoy playing Legos again with my kids because they're loving it so much. They love me interacting with them. Uh, tea parties, I've got an, an eight-year-old girl that just loves to play a house and tea parties and those kind of things. Never thought as a 30-plus-year-old guy that I'd be doing that kind of stuff, but here I am uh, sitting on the floor sometimes playing with my eight-year-old daughter in this way. And now I've got this almost two-year-old who continually brings me book. Book after book after book that needs to be read, sometimes the same book a million times over. But I'm finding and discovering that as I even express interest in the things that interest all of my kids and Maggie, I begin to grow more interested in these things. It's the way of Jesus. It's elevating them above myself. And I'm actually finding greater joy and peace and love in my heart in these ways when I do that. So here's the question with Philippians 2.4. Will I begin to express interest in the things that interest others? Or will I just put up with them? And believe me, your spouse and your kids and your families and your relationships, they know the difference between just putting up with their interests and actually enjoying them with them, okay? Will we begin to put this on the way that, um, that Christ did for us? Will he begin to express interest in the things that interest others instead of what just interests ourselves? Another name for that, Maggie, coming up, that we have for interests is this idea of differences. So we've kind of created a list here. Um, we've shared with you some last night. You kind of got a picture of that, how different Maggie and I are. But we've got a whole list of uh, things here that are different between Maggie and I. Um, some of these are going to be pretty relatable to you. But wouldn't you know, real honestly, transparently, uh, that we've had a lot to work through in marriage because of how different people we are. So I'll go ahead and start. At the risk of stating the obvious, I was born a boy. And I was born a girl. I grew up in the north. I'm from the south, y'all. I lived in town. We lived in the country. I lived in one house my entire childhood. I moved too many times to count. We celebrated on Christmas morning. We celebrated on Christmas Eve, which means we got to open presents first and we win. But we're not, we're not competing. Oh, yeah, I'm still yeah. working on that. That's right, yeah. I have a bachelor's degree. Uh, true story, I somehow accidentally got an associate's degree. I don't know how I did that, but it was exciting news. I was an accounting major. I'm still not real sure what accounting is. It's true, yeah. I love salad. I like the idea of salad. You have a great salad face. If you're ever sitting by him at dinner while he's eating salad, it's like, it's kind of like the stink face, but I call it the salad face. That's not an invitation to come to our house for <laughs> dinner. Yeah, no. I love eating chicken wings. I think they're too much work. I prefer movies that make you cry. I prefer action movies where people die. <laughs> I am trying desperately to be organized. I have my own version of organization. Which is not organization. I can always find it. I would choose cake, like the most chocolatey, chocolatiest cake. I would choose pie, like the most fruitiest, fruity fruit pie. That didn't come out very good. Let's keep, <laughs> let's keep going here. Uh, I like to be spontaneous. I like calculated spontaneity. I walk at a pace like I'm on a mission with something to accomplish. I like to lollygag because there's just so much to see. That's so maddening, yeah. <laughs> I'm a mild introvert. And I'm a total extrovert. I like to go and play at the beach, jump in the waves, splash. I like to look at the beach. <laughs> I really enjoyed my, when my kids were little newborns, that sweet little infant stage when they're sleeping all the time. I did not. I don't know why, because he slept through the night. He was the only one who got to sleep through the night. There so. were a lot of things about it that I did not enjoy, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a risk taker. I prefer safety. I love a great big yard full of trees. 
I hate raking leaves. We didn't even mean to rhyme, but we're pretty impressed with ourselves. That's pretty good, yeah. I'm good with directions. One time I got lost in our neighborhood. We'd lived there for like five years, too. Yeah, it's, <laughs> still don't know how you do it. It's yeah. a circle, and you have to get out of the circle, and sometimes I miss that one turn. You know? There's one exit out of the circle, yeah. <laughs> Just gonna. It's real obvious, though, when you don't make it out. <laughs> you have to go back in the house and pretend like you forgot something. So. How much of this are we going to rehash in front of all of them? Like, we want to pump pack it right now, or let's keep going. All right. I groan, moan, and want attention when I'm sick. So annoying. I'm quiet, and I just want to be left alone. I didn't iron until after we were married. And I don't iron now that we're married. <laughs> oh, my turn. I like tomatoes. I give my tomatoes to her. I struggle to listen well. I really like to be understood. I love talking to strangers. I mean, I want to hear their life story. I want them to tell me all their hopes and dreams. We tell our kids not to talk to strangers. So why should I have to talk to strangers? <laughs> it's just a very Jesus-y thing to do. Okay, I process internally. I have to talk things out. I obey the letter of the law. I obey the spirit of the law. That's not the law. <laughs> I love to play board games. I hate board games. Does that make me a bad parent? It might, yeah, actually. We need to talk about that. Yep. I enjoy talking on the phone. I would enjoy talking on the phone if I actually could hear anybody. If it weren't for my kids, I can't hear anybody, so I just ignore the phone. I enjoy keeping up with the news. I don't watch the news anymore. I get too depressed by the news. I love spicy food. I don't understand why people like, want to eat things that make you hurt. I don't get it. I don't either, but it tastes so good. Yeah, it's great. I compete. I avoid. I like a good name brand ice cream, like Breyers or Blue Bunny or something like that. I think generic brand tastes just the same. No, see, that's, they're booing you. And tell them Oreos, they're not the same either. Generic Oreos are not. I'm coming around on that one. Yeah, I'm okay. starting to believe it. Yep. I like to talk at night. I think talking should not be allowed after 10 p.m. I'm a thinker. I am a feeler. I love to dress down. I don't like pants. If I'm going to wear pants, make them stretchy. I love to dress up. I have no problem with pants of all kinds. <laughs> That's a good thing. I love a shower. I like to take a bath. I'm always cold. I am always hot. Yes, you are. Good job. I tan. I burn. I fold. I wad. Which makes me wonder why I ever folded. Because you're not going to iron it anyway. It's true. I see today. I see tomorrow. I like pajamas. Remember, stretchy pants. I like nothing on either one of us. Awkward. Just being honest, right? One more thing. I prefer to work alone. That's fine. You know, I'll just go sit in the audience. So again, as you can see, Megan and I are very different people. You'll hear us unpack that throughout this week. What God has shown us and taught us is we can begin to appreciate, understand, express interest in the things that interest each other. We're not only helping our marriage, we're demonstrating the love of Christ to each other and to the world around us. It's a beautiful picture of things. Let's keep going here. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What this simply means is this. Our attitude should be the same as Jesus. In our relationships that God has given to us, 
particularly our marriages and our families, but any relationship, our attitude, our mindset should be the same as Jesus. The ways that Jesus would think, the ways that Jesus would act, the way Jesus would feel, that's the goal, that's the aim. And with his power and by his spirit, he can actually help us to do that. Our attitude should begin to look the same as Jesus in our marriage relationships and the marriage in the relationships that God has given to us. Here's the question with verse 5. Do I show a Christ-like attitude towards others? If I were to walk into your home next time there's a conflict arising or a challenge or at the end of a day, would I see, would we see a Christ-like attitude in the way that you're interacting with your spouse or with your kids? When I walk into that meeting that you're having in the office or with a church member that's not going so well, would, would what we see and observe be a Christ-like attitude? Are we and do we show a Christ-like attitude towards others? That's the challenge, that's the call that he's given to us. This should especially be evident to those of us that follow Jesus and are here in the church. We should be able to put on this mindset, this Christ-like attitude in our ways that we're interacting with each other. Verse 6 What does this attitude look like? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Here's the amazing part about the life of Jesus that I continue to be astounded by as I teach this, as I meditate on this, the fact that Jesus never leveraged the fact that he was God for his own sake. Creator of the universe, King of kings, Lord of lords, Redeemer of mankind, never played the I deserve card. Never said, I'm God and I should get the best out of these situations Never pushed the God button for anything that would benefit himself. Never leveraged his position or the power that he had. He never demanded the best seat, the best food, the most comfortable bed, the most comfortable side of the bed for our marriage relationships, right? The best accommodations. If we're going to love the way that Jesus loves us, this is the way that we're supposed to do it. This is how it's supposed to look. Not to leverage and play the I deserve card. I was at work all day, I toiled really hard, you don't know what kind of junk I had to deal with, now I'm going to come home and get to veg out. I deserve my time now to be able to go out um, and enjoy some fun, some time with friends, some hobbies, some interests. I deserve that because of how I worked today. I deserve that this weekend because of how hard I worked this week. This is not the mindset, the attitude of Jesus. Always thinking about the interest and what's needed for somebody else. Never playing the I deserve card. You don't understand I was home with the kids all day. You don't know how much of a terror that was. I deserve some alone time now. What I'm not saying is that we can't help each other find these spaces, that we can't enjoy rest and recreation. What I am saying is you shouldn't go into our relationships playing this I deserve card. Jesus never leveraged the fact that he was God for his own sake. We should never think that we're more above somebody else and deserve these things. So here's the question. Verse 6, do I play the I deserve card in my relationships? Are there areas of your life, your marriage, your other relationships, your parenting right now where you're saying I deserve and that's affecting how you act, affecting the decisions that you make? Are you playing this I deserve card in your relationships? Here's the second part of how it looks to put on this mindset of Jesus. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus uh, was not full of himself. Instead, he rather he chose to take on the path of a servant. Now, the reality is that we all want to think of ourselves as a servant until we begin to be treated like one. Okay, nobody want to walk into our home life and have our spouse or have our kids treat us like they're like we're their servant, like we're only there to benefit them. But the reality is that when you look at Jesus's pattern of life, as he continued to humble himself, did not think too highly of himself, humbled himself, and chose this path of a servant, always for the betterment of his disciples, of his followers, and for us. The question to apply with this is this, am I serving others in my interactions? 
If I were to look at your home life, would it look like you're modeling the spirit of humility and serving others that you're going to the greatest degree, sacrificing what you want and what you need for the interest of some other people? Not what I want, but what do they need is the place uh, to think about that. Finally here, last verse, Philippians 2.8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, we're going to talk about pride and humility, but I love here that Jesus simply humbled himself. Again, laying himself down, laying it down. Um, Then you may be asking, how far, Brent, do I have to take this? How long in my marriage relationship, how long in my parenting, how long in this relationship with this coworker or this church member, how far do I have to model this? Eventually, Brent, this has to end, right? Not if we're going to take on the path that Jesus took on because he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. This is for a lifetime. If you want this to last and affect your marriage relationship, you want to have a marriage relationship that lasts 40, 50, 60, 70 years, you're going to have to start putting on these things in greater ways in your life. You're going to affect your kids and your grandkids and leave a legacy behind of humility and servanthood. You have to do this to the very end. Pushing yourself and following Christ's example to us obediently to the point of death. So again, the question with verse 8 is, am I humble in my approach to others? I'm going to throw a picture right here up on the screen. I'm going to give you a life in action challenge tonight. Uh, This is Maggie's uh, mom and dad. Uh, Alan Maria Johnson, uh, they have modeled this for us. My parents have done a great job modeling this for us, but uh, Maggie's mom and dad have a special story I want to unpack for you. Uh, we shared last night, Maggie was adopted by her parents when she was seven years old, so they began early in their life beginning to take on this posture of humbling themselves, not playing the I deserve card. Maggie's dad served faithfully, did a lot of hard hours as a mechanic, beat up his body for years to serve his family, humbling himself day in and day out, not saying what I need, what do I deserve, willing to sacrifice for his family. Mechanic around the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of um, toxins and things that began. Uh, there wasn't the respirator systems and the, the kind of um, protection agencies to help uh, people in these days. So he began to uh, develop a chronic lung disease in his later years. A couple years ago, we got a, a word that he was uh, basically dying. Two-year diagnosis of uh, COPD, so chronic uh, lung disease, and was uh, going gonna to die. At that point, uh, he had every opportunity to go, I've given 60 plus years of my life to serving other people, to serving my wife, to serving my kids. I'm going to spend this last couple years doing what I want. Could have faithfully uh, given up and just said, I deserve now some time for me. All the way to the end, always thinking about what was best for his family. Began to think about his finances, the way he needed to care for his wife and for his kids and his grandkids in his latter days. We lost Maggie's dad back in February, one of the hardest things we had to do, but we're so thankful because even to the point of his death, saw him faithfully and humbly walk this attitude of serving uh, his family, his wife in these ways. It's not just Al's story, it's my uh, mother-in-law Maria's story as well. She served faithfully her family, Al behind the scenes uh, for years, raising the kids, making sure they had everything they needed provided for, sacrificing tremendous hours and time and their own wants and desires for the betterment of her family. Those last couple years, she could have said the same thing. I've served for 60 plus years. I've had enough. It's my time now. She could have walked away and said, I'm not going to walk through this last couple years. They're going to be so hard with you. But we watched humbly, faithfully coming alongside, serving every day to the very point of death. We watched Maggie's mom care for and love Maggie's dad and us to the point of his death. We watched Maggie's dad do the same. Great pictures of examples to that. Find somebody around you that are modeling and walking these out. Ask them how they do it. They're going to be honest with you that it's not always been easy. But they found and discovered these truths that we unpacked tonight of how to put on, put love into actions the way that Jesus did and how to do that, even in the moments when you don't feel like it. 
Here's your life in action challenge for tonight, okay? In relation to this message, how can we begin to put these things, these truths into practice? I think the question to ask yourselves is, am I willing to put love into action even when I don't feel like it? The reality is, if you've been married any point of time, even a few months, because I've been married now for 11 years, that early on you're going to already find points in time where your feelings uh, don't lead you to do a loving action. Okay, your feelings will actually tend to lie to you. Anybody want to relate to that, okay? There's been points in your life where you've not felt like loving somebody else. The reality is that Jesus had lots of opportunities not to feel that way and not to respond, but he always had the mindset of, I'm going to love you in these ways. I'm going to humble myself and serve you in these ways. The more that we can put that into action, the greater and stronger our relationships will be, the more Christ-like we'll be able to model and serve each other in these ways. Are you willing, am I willing to put love into action even when I don't feel like it? And here's the crazy reality. I've discovered as I talk to people that have been married 30, 40, 50 years, the last 11 years that Maggie and I have been married, the more I actually begin to demonstrate those actions, the feelings actually come back pretty quickly. The feelings that Maggie has towards me and I have towards her, the feelings that couples that have been married a long time, the more they actually humble themselves, in the servanthood, there's actually something that goes on in our brains that begins to help us to feel that love for one another. No matter where you find yourselves tonight, no matter what struggles and challenges you're facing in your relationships, I believe if you begin following and modeling these paths, Greg's going to unpack this humility and pride later. But the idea of serving and walking a path of humility, I think, will set you free in some new ways tonight. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to invite the kids in the room uh, for some worship tonight. Again, great to see you all back here tonight. We'll figure out how to cram everybody in. It'll be a fun, fun time tonight, all right? You pray with me? God, I just want to thank you again for the amazing uh, example of Christ that you uh, are for us. Every time I'm not sure um, what this should look like in my life, I can always go back uh, to who you are in your word, what passages like this and other ways that we see in the Gospels and other parts of Scripture of how you walk this path of humility time and time again in the ways that was amazingly life-giving to others, advancing your gospel, God, but also that you were doing it for us. God, would you help us now in these days to put on a, a mindset of uh, humility, of expressing interest in the thing that interests others, of being willing to serve even to the point of death, God. I pray for every marriage, every family, every relationship that's got tension right now, God, that you would give grace upon grace for being able to move through the, and work in these ways to provide a path for uh, putting love into action in the days ahead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.